alive or dead? Alive or dead? He say asked a number of good questions about life and death. Are we alive to this precious life? Really alive to it? Or are we walking around half dead? Half alive? Can we catch ourselves when we go unconscious? When we're dead to what's going on because we're so preoccupied with this little box. If we have practiced seeing this life as an amazing dream constantly unfolding from some mind, if we enjoy analyzing our dreams, if tens of thousands of times we have gladly sunk our tired bodies and minds into the little death of sleep? Why then can't we gladly sink into death and enter another interesting and educational dream? Kisei asked, could this be death and something else more alive appear after death? Just before Steve Jobs died of pancreatic cancer, he spoke. A fake version of what he said was circulated for a while. A very long essay full of greeting greeting card type warnings and advice like, this is like fake Buddha quotes, this is a fake Steve Jobs quote. When a person goes into the operating room, he will realize that there is one book that he has yet to finish reading, the book of healthy life. But this is actually what his family saw and heard. And this is a quote from his partner. Before embarking, he looked at his sister Patty, then for a long time at his children, then at his life's partner, Lauren, and then over their shoulders, past them. Then he exclaimed, Oh, wow! Oh, wow! Oh, wow! And died. There is a koan about this. Tao Wu is alive or dead. Main case. Tao Wu, in Japanese, Dogo, visited a family with Jian Yuan, in Japanese, Zengen, for a condolence call because someone had died in the, in the family. And typically, priests go to help with ceremonies and at least offer condolences. In, in Japan, I don't know about China, but in Japan... Zen uh, Buddhism became the um, the holder of death and death ceremonies. Uh, Shinto was was uh, interested and occupied with ceremonies around life and fertility. So when Buddhism came in, it had to find a territory to work with, and it picked death, since people weren't working for that. <laughs> So, this is very apropos. 
Jianyuan tapped the coffin three times and said, Alive or dead? Dao Wu said, I won't say alive, I won't say dead. Jianyuan said, Why won't you say? Dao Wu said, I won't say, I won't say. Jianyuan could not understand at the time. Later, he heard the Avalokiteshvara chapter of the Lotus Sutra being chanted. It said, For one who has attained the monastic body, Avalokiteshvara appears in the monastic's body and expounds the Dharma. Hearing this, Jianyuan came to realization. Commentary Even in his not saying, Dao Wu has said it all, but Jianyuan does not know that it is right in his face. Later, hearing a workman chanting the Avalokiteshvara chapter of the Lotus Sutra, Jianyuan suddenly realizes Dao Wu's compassionate teaching and says, At the time I was wrongly suspicious of my late teacher. How was I to know that this was not a matter of words and phrases? If you call it alive, you will have negated the fact. If you say dead, you have missed the truth of the matter by 100,000 miles. To say it is neither alive nor dead, or both alive and dead, compounds the absurdity. At such a time, what will you call it? Having verse, in birth, not an atom is added. In death, not a particle is lost. Therefore, life is called the unborn. Death is called the unextinguished. The second day of Sashin can present difficulties for many people. On the first day, we're usually full of determination, zeal, dedication. On the second day, the body can begin to complain about the unusual activity of sitting still for hours. The mind realizes that you are serious about seeing through the thicket of thoughts that it constantly produces, and it can rebel, talking more on the second day than on the first day or it might seem as if it is talking more, because actually there's beginning to be some quiet space around and within these thoughts, so they stand out and are perceived more clearly. It's like someone going into therapy thinking they have one issue and then realizing, no, underneath that are some more. And they think, oh, I'm getting worse. No, you're seeing what's there. These same thoughts flow on in our mind all the time when we're up and about moving and talking, but they're covered up by action and noise, by moving and talking. Now you get a chance to see them and work with them. 
This is the day you have to put in what chemists call the energy of activation to get the Dharma body moving within you. Please be patient and kind to yourself, kind to your body by changing your posture. Be aware that no one in this hall is sitting without physical discomfort and sometimes very strong physical discomfort. You are not alone. This is normal. This is part of having a body. If you are very uncomfortable, you can stand up for the rest of that period. If you are sleepy, you can stand up, and some people hold their arms in the arm posture of the horse. The horse stands in Tai Chi. Or you can change your sitting position and rotate sitting supplies each time you do kinhin. You can sit cross-legged and then change the next period to a seiza bench or change to a chair during kinhin. If you're sitting in a chair, you can try putting a cushion behind your back to support it. Be creative. The zendo has been very quiet. Everyone is sitting quite still and refraining from talking during the time that we're not in the zendo, which is very important in the gradual softening and eventual dissolution of thoughts. And it supports the deepening of other people's practice. Sitting and cultivating physical stillness and inner quiet is the key that opens all Dharma gates. We are looking straight at death, at the fact that everything is constantly changing and will eventually dissolve and return the elements it was fashioned from back to the source. For a moment, please close your eyes and become aware of the calcium in your body, in your teeth, in your bones, in your bloodstream, and in all your cells. Whenever a nerve fires, it depends on calcium. Now look back to when that calcium originated. Look back, back, back as far as you can. Calcium originated not long after the Big Bang, as far as we know. Now be curious about how many bodies it has passed through during the millennia that have passed before it came to form part of your body. Mineral, plant, animal, bird, fish. How many bodies? Tens of thousands? Millions? Once we die, we gift that calcium plus other elements back to the life forms that will come after us. 
Maybe you will never have enough extra money to give sizable donations to the charities that you trust. But you can give all the elements of your body back. There's water, which constitutes about 53% of your body, which may be in short supply in the future, and people might enjoy having it appear as rain or water to drink from a well. And here are some of the other elements because of water, oxygen, and hydrogen. Nitrogen, calcium, phosphorus. We're going in descending order of what percentage of your body is composed of these elements. Phosphorus, potassium, sulfur. All cells contain sulfur. Sodium and chlorine. Magnesium, iron, fluorine, zinc, silicone, copper, iodine, boron, selenium, nickel, chromium, lithium, molybdenum, cobalt, vanadium, and lutetium. All of these are necessary to a healthy human life, a healthy mammalian life, to other lives. Additional elements found in the human bodies that we currently believe are not necessary for life, although periodically they discover one that they thought wasn't necessary is necessary. Gallium, rubidium, strontium, bromine, lead, aluminum, cadmium, cerium, barium, tin, titanium, which I have some in here, arsenic, mercury, cesium, germanium, antimony, niobium, zirconium, lanthanum, tellurium, yttrium, bismuth, plus 12 other elements, unnecessary elements. Even if you die poor, you can still donate back all the silver and gold in your body. The amount of gold in your body is 3 times 10 to the minus 9 of your atomic mass. Unless you have gold and silver in your teeth. Then you donate more. Now, as you look at this, what the Buddha called bag of rice and porridge, and all of these elements, temporarily assembled, while cause and effect holds them together. And then you look at them dissolving upon your death, and look forward through the millennia to come, as the calcium that is temporarily housed in what you call my body, and all the other elements, moves on, how many other bodies will that calcium make life possible for? That sodium, that chloride, that hydrogen, that oxygen, that water. When we see it that way, we see it as mm, for millennium, infinitely in both directions. We use the term energy to refer to many things. We could say the energy of calcium or hydrogen or oxygen. 
the fundamental aspect of vibration that characterizes all these elements. Or the energy that is involved in the factories. The factories are producing in your mitochondria, in each of your cells. Or the sensation of aliveness and vitality in your body, which Hogan often refers to as tingling. However, we also use the term energy to refer to our emotional state. I feel the energy of love. I feel the energy of anger. The lack of energy and depression, I just have, I can't, I just have no energy. No emotions, except depression. Or the excess of energy and excitement or joy. We also use the term energy to refer to our state of mind. I have a lot of energy for practice right now. Or, I have less energy for practice right now. Or, I'm really curious about that. Or, I couldn't care less. Or, I'm concentrating really well. Or, my concentration is really poor. Or, I'm sitting here in a total funk, completely bored. Or, I'm sitting in awareness of a vast field of luminosity, infinitely and eternally still, but infinitely lively, with endless arising and disappearing. We need to look carefully at the origin of this mental-emotional energy. Where did it come from? Before it entered the recipe, for cooking up the little gluten-free vegan zen muffin we call me. (laughs) And what happens to that mass or mess of energy when you die? Remember conservation of mass and energy? the law of conservation of mass and energy. Energy is neither created nor destroyed. It changes form, but it is not destroyed. It was actually first described by a woman mathematician, Emmy Noether. It's called Noether's Principle. Even within the domain of quantum physics, if we take into account aspects of time, conservation holds true. So, what happens to that mental-emotional energy when you die? It's easy to see what happens to the physical energy, or at least to imagine it. But what about that mental-emotional energy? What happens to your anger, your kindness, your sadness, your raging inner critic, your generosity, your jealousy, your existential despair when you die? Energy is not destroyed. It is no different from your calcium. It does not disappear. It too will be passed on and inherited 
not just by your children, but by millions of beings over time. If we accept that fact, then what is our obligation? What is our obligation? Unto the seventh generation, or the ten thousandth generation. What is our obligation? You see, you can you can see our how our minds um, circle expands. Inside the circle, the self vanishes. One of our chants, or like a boat sitting on the ocean appears to be a circle. You can watch that circle contract and expand, right? Oh, my calcium, my thoughts, my emotions. Oh, what if it goes on? Who would inherit it? Oh, my children might inherit. I don't want them to inherit my anger, more my loving kindness and my wisdom. But what if, what if anywhere in the universe it's inherited? Even if life is destroyed on this planet, it goes on. So what is our obligation while we have the chance offered by this practice? To clean it up. To clean it up. How? Through practice. We clean up our garbage after we eat, we compost it, and we turn it into something beneficial. All of us have that in our hearts. But this is even more important. To transform it so it can benefit the world. And it starts with recognizing and studying thoughts. Yesterday I suggested, some of you are out of the room, but others were here. Yesterday I suggested that when you recognize a formed thought arising in the field of your mind, you ask, what is the purpose of this thought? Is it worry about me? Is it worry about someone else? Is it soothing my discomfort with pleasant memories or fantasies? What is the purpose of this thought? Asking that question, what is the purpose of this thought, helps by giving you a few degrees of separation from the thought And it begins to dispel two illusions. I am my thoughts. And my thoughts are always true and useful. I also suggested that as your mind clears, you may catch a thought as it is being born. Thoughts are sensations no different from the sensations of touch, sight, smell, taste, and sound. No different. In fact, if you study thoughts, you will find that they have all these qualities and particular aspects of touch. A thought seems to move through. Light or heavy. Wispy or completely overwhelming. 
has the aspect of sound, perhaps, a voice in your head, and possibly a visual quality. The visual quality is very interesting. As the tangle of thoughts in your mind begin to unravel, and the space that is always there, between, behind, around, and within them, begins to appear, thoughts may become just visual, just images. Some people get worried about that, but it's a stage in the deepening of meditation. So strange visual fragments flicker in and out. I call it channel surfing in the mind. Actually, it's surfing in the great storehouse consciousness, the Alaya Vijnana. One of the ways I keep myself occupied during session is to catch one or two of the strangest thoughts in order to prove to myself that most of my thoughts are complete nonsense. Yesterday I caught one of those scenes. It was visual. So this occurs in a flash, right? In a concession at the airport, a customer just left and was walking down the concourse. I looked down and saw that they had left a parcel and I had the urge to call them back. All of that occurred in a flash. Where did that come from? I have no idea. Is it true? I have no idea. Is it useful? Maybe in helping me understand what thoughts actually are. As the mind quiets, you may be able to feel just a wisp or the slightest inner pressure of a bubble of thought trying to arise. Before it becomes a full-blown thought, you can return it to where it came from and return to the peace of inner stillness, the blessing of inner quiet. This is very important. All of this is done with gentle firmness, with kindness, with non-judgmental clarity, with curiosity, and the happiness of discovering what the heck is going on in there. Once you know how your heart-mind works, you will know how it works for others, and you will be filled with compassion for their struggles. So have that compassion for yourself and your own struggles with your mind. This is another way to look at what continues. This is from What the Buddha Taught by Walpola Rahula, a book that I discovered when I first began sitting. Zazen and really liked. It's very down-to-earth. tells what the Buddha actually taught. We have seen earlier that a being is nothing but a combination of physical and mental forces or energies. What we call death is the total non-functioning of the physical body. Do all these forces and energies stop altogether with the non-functioning of the body? Buddhism says no. Will, volition, desire, thirst to exist, to continue, to become more and more is a tremendous force that moves whole lives whole existences, and that even moves the whole world. 
This is the greatest force, the greatest energy in the world. According to Buddhism, this force does not stop with the non-functioning of the body, which is death, but it continues manifesting itself in other forms, producing re-existence, which can be called rebirth. Now another question arises. If there is no permanent unchanging entity or substance like a self or a soul, Atman, what is it that can re-exist or be reborn as another existence after death? Before we go on to life after death, let us consider what this life is and how it continues now. What we call life, as we have so often repeated, is the combination of the five aggregates, a combination of physical and mental energies. These are constantly changing. They do not remain the same for two consecutive moments. Every moment they are born and they die. The Buddha said, when the aggregates arise, decay and die, O Buddha, O bhikkhus, every moment you are born, decay and die. Thus, even now during this lifetime, every moment we are born and die, but we continue. If we can understand that in this life we can continue without a permanent unchanging substance, like a self or a soul, why can't we understand that those forces themselves can continue without a self or a soul behind them after the non-functioning of this particular body. When this physical body is no more capable of functioning, energies do not die with it, but continue to take some other shape or form, which we call another life. In a child, all the physical, mental, and intellectual faculties are tender and weak, but they have within them the potentiality of producing a full-grown person. Physical and mental energies which constitute the so-called being have within themselves the power to take a new form and grow gradually and gather force to the full. Then it goes on to the analogy the Buddha made of a flame burning through the night. It is not the same flame, nor is it another. And it can be passed from candle to candle. The fuel, the fuel, you can contemplate the fuel. What is the fuel? That this flame we call life burns on. Another way to look at what continues is karma. Karma is volitional thought translated into action or words, physical action or words. Sitting here, we are generating less difficult karma, meaning karma that will have um, a difficult outcome action or speech that will have a difficult outcome. Sitting here with our thoughts and not acting on our thoughts. It's fantastic. As one woman at a retreat in Vancouver said to me in Sonzen, she said, I have really struggled in this retreat. It's been really hard. My mind is just so full of thoughts. Then she said, but then I realized, what would I be doing if I weren't here for the weekend? I'd be shopping. And spending money I shouldn't spend to buy things I don't need. 
and driving around generating a lot of carbon waste. So I realized she was quite cheerful about this. I thought it was so sweet. Maybe I am doing some good by just sitting here. (laughs) We are doing some good by sitting here, just sitting here, and also by working with our thoughts. This is also why suicide doesn't help. The karma or energy of difficult thoughts and actions continues and just causes more suffering to the people who know you and to the unknown people in the future. We have to have compassion for people who are so unhappy in such pain that they don't see another way out. And they do end this particular life. If they had the lifeline of practice, the ability to have perspective on their thoughts, the ability to experience what is always present behind the thoughts, within their own being, if they were able to have compassion and loving kindness for themselves, then they would be able to find another way out. The instinct to end the faultily constructed suffering self is not incorrect. Only the means are. Instead of being drowned in the suffering self, we can learn to float on the beautiful, deep, and eternally flowing river of prajnaparamita, wisdom beyond wisdom, compassion beyond compassion, that is always, always inspiring, sustaining, and embracing us. To end, I'd like to do a brief exercise. So you might want to adjust your posture a little bit. It won't take very long. This is part of our investigation of the firm belief that we all have in a separate self. In a beautiful self, an ugly self, problematic self, a successful self, etc., etc., etc. So we have the skeleton on the altar, which is a tradition in Asia and some countries like Thailand. People will donate their bodies, which will be skeletonized and then hung next to the altar as a reminder of where we're all headed and what we all are underneath. So if you would close your eyes, we're going to begin dissolving by bringing awareness to the body, the entire body, just wrap it in awareness, in a blanket of awareness, aware of temperature, movement, touch, perhaps smells or tastes, 
perhaps colors or forms even with the eyes closed. Aware of this body that sits and breathes. Now imagine that your skin painlessly dissolves. There's no longer a bag or wrapping of skin around you. You are sitting as what in China is called the meat body. This includes dissolving your hair, eyebrows, eyelashes. So you are just a meat body. You are able to walk around in this new body without any difficulty or revulsion. This is normal. Everybody looks like this. Muscle, sinew, nerves, blood vessels, all exposed. This is normal. If you've ever seen the exhibit, the body's exhibit, this will be easier for you because you've seen this. You are walking around without any skin or hair. This is normal. Does this change how you see other people? you see a new person walk in the room, muscle, tendons, blood vessels, nerves walk into the room. You see them many differently than you would if they had skin on. As you walk down the street and encounter strangers who have no skin or hair, just muscles, sinews, blood vessels, nerves, do you see them differently than you would with skin on, hair on? Now imagine that you pass a shop window and you can look and see yourself. This meat body walking down the street. Muscles, tendons, nerves and blood vessels. Do you see yourself any differently? Sitting as a meat body, walking as a meat body, eating as a meat body. Please try this exercise during at least part of your sitting or walking around. Just pick it up, try it for a bit, like we did, and then let it go. See what you discover. And continue to let the mind settle, letting go of thoughts. 
perhaps, after questioning them? What is the purpose of this thought? Or can I give this thought a name and then let it go? Be intrigued by what lies behind thought. Thank you. I'll be doing uh, Sanzen, and Kisei will be present for some of the Sanzens. This is part of training people as they move towards transmission and move towards the ability to teach on their own. So please support her and our training of the next generation. How beautiful to have a next generation should I die in 10 minutes.